your prime. Welcome to Cocoons of Horror, the podcast that revisits classic horror films as well as other Pulp Fiction. Today we take a look at Guillermo del Toro's Academy Award-nominated Nightmare Alley. This film noir adaptation of the book with the same name stars Bradley Cooper as a con artist posing as a psychic with a mysterious past. Also, there are sideshow freaks, so that's cool. With me, as always, is Dr. Anthony Ladon. Do you feel like we should treat the spoilers in this podcast a little bit differently than we normally do because it's a new release? Yeah, I mean, I think we would have to say you'd have to watch this, right? Please listen to this if you've seen it or don't care to see it. Right. So maybe we should do a segment up front that gives sort of a general impression of the movie without spoilers and then sort of say, hey, from here on in, spoilers abound. Every time we say a spoiler, you'll hear a gong. Yeah. So, Steve, what's your... (laughs) We should just bring the gong back. See, And take the racial stereotype out, right? Because if we use a gong... Right, it's okay. It, it, yeah. it robs. It's really sort of claiming the gong noise. <laughs> exactly. We, 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 do, we the take gongs. the gong noise and we Yankee. It's wanky. <laughs> uh, Steve, what's your relationship with Guillermo del Toro? Um, the first thing that comes to mind is Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, which you liked and I didn't like as yeah. much. Yeah, and you don't. Well, and I think it'd be worth. I think that might be something we could take a look at in this uh, in this podcast series. Yeah, maybe so because I've I've certainly started to like horror more in the last. Well, it was it was really COVID. COVID <laughs> messed with my mind, and I started watching horror movies. Do you now? Did you not like Pan's Labyrinth because it was more horrific than what you were like used to, or was there other aspects of the film that just didn't do it for you? I don't remember it all that well, and I probably I remember walking out thinking I wasn't I didn't quite. It didn't quite work for me, but I don't I don't remember it well enough to know what didn't work for me. But, but you liked it. Right? I did very much. And now here's the thing is I've only seen it once. It's one of those movies that was like I think it's a hard one to revisit. Mm-hmm. Um, Heather like will not. I mean she may now, but she was very much like she just like it's just it was such a a, a ride for her that kind of mm-hmm. put her in a spot where she's like that was just a lot of emotions that I don't. She's like, I appreciate it. I don't know if I needed to revisit it, but we may. I mean, if we're gonna do it for the podcast for sure. Yeah. Um, so I've got yeah, Pan's Labyrinth. Um, I've seen Crimson Peak, Hellboy, um, Hellboy Two. Hellboy was Guillermo del Toro. I I don't think I knew that. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what else of his I've seen. I, it's like he's one of those directors where I feel like I've seen more of his stuff than maybe I actually have. Mm. I didn't see Shape of Water. Oh, I saw Shape of Water. What would you think of that? Well, that's a trippy movie, man. That's that's that, a trip. That, that seems and like that's kind of his thing, though, right? I almost feel like we need to do, <laughs> we need to do that movie. Because I don't think you're going to like it. 
Ooh. <laughs> I think you might not like it. this. Is, I don't, have we done a movie that I've really liked that you didn't like? I don't think that we've done. I don't yet. know. I don't think because like a lot of these films you just you haven't had much of a history with. That's right. right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I haven't seen Pacific Rim, so I haven't seen that many, I guess. So, I mean, how about you? Do you have, it sounds like we have maybe almost similar. Um... Yeah, I feel like I watched, I watched, I've only seen a few of these things. Like, so I like, I really liked Hellboy. Did he do two Hellboys or just one? Yeah, he did Hellboy 2, I believe, as well. Okay. So I really liked Hellboy. And I think I, I was sort of weirded out by Shape of Water, but I, in kind of a good way. Like I thought it was going to get less weird, and it got more weird. Got it. Um, Pan's Labyrinth was probably more horror than anything he's ever done, right? Mm, yeah, I suppose so. I mean... I feel like everything has like a, a a touch of horror, right? Uh-huh. And I really liked this movie. I I, oh. I was I was a real I, I mean I've I watched it twice now. Really? I think you probably enjoyed it better the second time. Okay. And uh so I guess we should probably start talking about it. Yeah, I and mean, we'll give a like we'll do a little general sort of I don't know, synopsis perhaps, but then because it is so new, we will have to warn people that if you haven't seen it um, yeah you know you probably should see it before or if you have zero desire to see it go ahead and keep listening because who cares it won't matter right yeah no you can just experience it vicariously through us yeah or if you have a tendency to forget things immediately just listen (laughs) see what happens I mean, your life is already different and weird, and I like it. I think we've already established that our our demographic for this particular podcast are elderly people now (laughs) yeah exactly yeah (laughs) They've somehow learned how to listen to a podcast, but their VCR is still Flash 12. Mm-hmm. For sure. <laughs> All right. Do you have an elevator pitch for this movie? Well, I don't know. That's a good question because like, I'm, I'm, I may be the wrong guy. How do you describe this movie? It's it fe- Here's the thing about this movie. It feels fairly straightforward, but not at the same time, right? I mean, it's uh, Bradley Cooper does things. Ooh. <laughs> I think it could be something like Bradley Cooper gets what he deserves. Mm. I think this is a very Catholic movie. I I mean, I don't know. We could probably talk about why I think that. But let me ask you this, because I think this leads into it. Why is this movie titled Nightmare Alley? That came up right after we watched it. Um, And uh, I don't know. Did Heather like it? No. (laughs) Did you like it? Not sure. <laughs> this is going to be fun. Yeah, why? Why is it titled? Because you like Alley? it. You like it so much. And this movie just came. Like I, you did not go to the theater. You saw this streaming twice, right? Yeah, that's right. And it just came out on streaming. Yeah, it, it, this you've is, seen it twice. Yeah, this this was sort of a two and a half hour commitment. Twice. Yeah, you can't even listen to our own podcast, but you can watch this twice. No. Yeah. Of course I can. Of course. Um. Yeah. No, she didn't like it. Um. I think. I think her take was she's like I don't think she cared, and I mean we're gonna we're gonna start dipping our toe into spoiler water at, like at any time, people. So please, for the love of God, either turn this off and go watch this movie, or or just just know that we that you've been warned. Um, this movie is gonna we be. We both saw the we both saw the ending coming like a mile away, right? Sure. Yeah. No, I did too, but I felt like. Like my my take on it was that this movie is the nightmare alley. He's this guy starts 
This guy starts with a demonstration of how utterly depraved, forsaken, sinful he is. Right. This person has sort of sold his soul through this act of depravity, and he set himself on this particular course that can only lead to one destination. Sure. So the whole movie is the Nightmare Alley for Bradley Cooper. Because an, an alley is, you don't, you know, you got one, you're one path, right? There's only one path. There's only one way that this can end, and it does end in that way, and I enjoyed the ride. Basically. Okay. See, I think, I think for Heather, and maybe this is where I'm landing too, is the, um, we knew where it was going. Mm-hmm. And for her, I was like, could we just get there? You know? And like, it was so... Was it too long? Was that part of it? I think I think it was there was it was a length thing, and then some of the moments that made it long were like, are, how value added are these? Right, like those are I think the questions that came up. Uh-huh. Um, and and in those times, could I have cared more about some of the people involved? Because um, I was, I mean, I, it's interesting because I I, I feel like I want to like this movie more than maybe I did. I, I came into this podcast um, torn because. I really liked watching it. Like I, visually, it's great. I think the acting's really well done. Um, Mara Rooney might be a little bit uh, one-dimensional for my t- for my taste. Wait, what's one-dimensional? Mara Rooney's character. Oh, she's his uh, love interest. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't familiar with. Yeah, so so Molly seemed a little um, one-dimensional. Like. <laughs> It, so the the element of her, I mean, she was in, interesting to the degree that she was sort of along for the ride and kind of was a moral compass to some to some respects, but like just didn't do a lot to me to really like to anchor that in such a way that when, whenever he was with her, it was kind of like, whatever. I, you know what I mean? I, I mean? That was. Well, I think you're right. She absolutely was a moral compass. My take on that. Which I think could be a bit tropey, you know? You know, we're doing a character study on on the man, right? And of course, the he's married to a woman, or at least his love interest is a woman, who's sort of going to tell us when the man has gone over the line, right? Because she has a moral compass and he doesn't. But the whole thing is right. I mean, the whole thing is a, is a problem, right? I mean, his his job is to lie. His job is to lie. Now, I do want to talk about that. So, and she's the assistant to that, right? I mean, she, she is. He, however, let me let me throw an idea at you here. How do you feel about carnivals in general? Oh, good lord! <laughs> no, 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 just no. <laughs> Don't want it. Okay, I'm not a bi- I'm not a big fan either. But I feel like. Have you been to a carnival? Yes. I'm like there's fairs, like there's there's yeah. county fairs. I don't I don't even like county fairs. I don't. And there's don't. circuses, and I'm not sure. Circuses at circus. Never been I to a know. circus. Never been to. Ugh. Never seen like a clown that wasn't like on the street. Ugh. Uh, so I don't have a strong. But when you see a clown in its natural habitat, good lord. <laughs> All right. So my feeling is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but my and feeling. I've been to like, a, and I've been to a freak show, by the way. Oh, you have. Yeah. All right, I, w- I want to pause here and hear about your freak show experience. Well, it was like a really lame freak show, right? Like, see the horse with the fifth leg, and it was like it was like a looked like a doll leg, like taped to its side or something. <laughs> Hard to tell if it was a parody or not. <laughs> All right, so my feeling is that people that go into a carnival 
kind of know that they're being lied to. Right? Uh-huh. It's like when you went to see the, you know, the freak show, you weren't a, you weren't a, really expecting to see some sort of, you know, great feat of uh, freakish nature or something. You were I was, expecting I was young to see... enough. I was young enough to be terrified. Like I didn't know oh. what my family was bringing me to. It was hard to say if this was a reward or a punishment. Okay. All right. So here's my only, my, here's, here's my uh, take on this. My take on this is that when you play one of those carnival games, you, you kind of know it's rigged, right? Sure. You kind of know, like I, I know this is rigged. There's only, the only way that these people are going to make money is if this is rigged, but it's kind of fun to see if I can beat it anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, like sort of like figure out the trick. Because someone's got to win, right? Maybe it'll be me. Someone's I kind of feel like with a Beavis and Butthead mirror. Why sure. Not me? So I kind of feel like Bradley Cooper's character, as long as he's in the context of the carnival, most of the people in the carnival are pretty complicit in the lie anyway. It's right. like you, like you go into a house of mirrors knowing that you're going to be lied to, because the mirrors distort reality, and that's that's part of the experience of it. And so, so it's sort of this moral agreement between the customer and the service. As soon as Bradley Cooper takes that show outside of the carnival, now this thing takes on a sort of a different moral character. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I, I buy that, right? I mean, that's... But it, I think the interesting part of that is, is that people still want to go on that ride, right? Like People still want to go on the ride... And one of the key features of this movie, so Bradley Cooper's spoilers, Bradley Cooper's character is learning how to con people. And he learns it by this sort of traveling carnival and he learns that he can he there are tricks that a mentalist can use in sort of reading the people in front of him to make them think that he's clairvoyant. But the rule is, mm-hmm. and he's taught this rule sort of early on and with a lot of force is that you never do a spook show. Because I think what happens is if you if you start saying you're actually talking to people's dead love people's dead loved ones, it's no longer fun anymore. It people start right. to really get emotionally invested in a way that they weren't before. And of course Bradley Cooper is going to cross the line at some point. And that is exactly when his wife decides to leave him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he crosses the line, and in order to cross the line, he sort of finds a new partner in crime, and that's Kate Blanchett, right? And she's right. she's a psychiatrist that's basically using her information about people to bamboozle them. So they right, they so kind she- of find a common cause. She becomes sort of the sideshow for him, right? I mean, at this point, sure. Um, and and again, there's like it, 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 you're looking for an accomplice, right? So he he right to some degree finds it, but also it's all it's almost like he's damned to do this. I think that that's a yes, that's a crucial. Say more about that. Well, so he you know so he runs into her and like their paths cross, and now like because of the choices that he's made to get him into this situation, this, you know, this part of the nightmare alley, so to speak, is he, now you, now you're, you have to work for this person, which I'm sure he doesn't, 
this is not a trustworthy situation. This does not look like it's, I can't imagine he's thinking, well, this is my ticket to the big time. You know, this is, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's, this is almost penance for the life he's chosen, right? Well, it's the depression, right? So you get the sense that this is the Great Depression. And so people are kind of doing anything that they can to just kind of press two coins together to survive. Right. And so this guy's willing to kind of do whatever it takes to survive. And then, of course, he realizes, oh, actually, I could make a lot of money doing this. Um, but I, I like I like that you said he's damned to do this. Because I think that very early on, the movie establishes that he this is a person who has sort of committed an egregious sin. Uh, and I read it as patricide. Right. Is that how you read it? Yeah. Yeah. So he kills his own father, who probably deserved it. We don't we don't know what the father has done to deserve it, but we think that he's done something. And he he basically kills his father in the very first scene of of the movie. You see him just right. dragging the body away and burning it. And then immediately what happens after that is that he finds his way to the carnival. And there's all kinds of signage all around that, uh, you know, that this is a place with like a house and mirrors and he goes in the fun house and it says damned right over the top of the, right. the entryway. And then it says examine your life and there's like the, the face of a devil and he goes into the mouth of the devil. And this is all sort of a, a very, I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's probably a really obvious metaphor for him choosing sure. Him walking down the path that he's already chosen for himself, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, I think that the Pete character is also meant to be something of a father figure who he ends up killing. Right. Maybe even maybe he doesn't know. Maybe it's sort of by accident, but it's sort of a... Don't you hate it when you got the, the poison and then the other stuff, like, right next to each other? <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know about you, but I always keep my wood alcohol right next to my sugar alcohol. Yeah, I mean, it's... In the same, the, the bottles that look exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my hampers are better, you know, separated <laughs> from whites to reds. Um, so, yeah. No, I think that this is sort of a Bradley Cooper... Like, almost in the within the first five minutes of the movie, we meet the geek, Right. Right, and I want to talk a little bit, <laughs> talk a little bit about the idea of a geek. Yeah, well, I used to always like, just not like a Big Bang Theory geek <laughs> in this scenario. Well, when but I in first... my opinion, just as hard to watch. <laughs> when I, or as a kid, I associated sort of a geek with just like you know synonymous with nerd, right? Someone sure. who's a bit nerdy. Until Chip Fisher told me that a geek is a person who sucks the fart out of chickens. Huh. Yeah. And I always just thought, until watching this movie, I thought, well, Chip Fisher had a very active imagination. (laughs) But having watched this movie, I'm thinking maybe Chip Fisher was onto something. I mean. (laughs) Yeah, maybe the fart is the dessert. (laughs) This this guy... (laughs) He uses all of the chicken. <laughs> this guy's eating like like biting the necks off of live chickens, like uh, you know the rumors of Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah. Uh, so I I think I need to like 
find Chip Fisher on Facebook and apologize to him for not believing. <laughs> like this is actually more a, a geek is actually more grotesque, right? Than Chip Fisher told me in sixth grade. Yeah, he he was he was trying to soften it for you. <laughs> he was trying to ease me into the carnival life. <laughs> and that's how they do it, man. <laughs> oh, we're just sucking farts, bro. Come on in. Oh, I can watch the guy. Oh no, what is this? You told me it would be farts. Wow, did, geeks. Did you geeks. ever? Did you know that a geek was a particular kind of sideshow? No, no. In fact, I mean, when you start thinking like, oh, now I feel like anytime I've ever been like, ah, he's like acting kind of geeky. I'm like, in my mind, it was like, oh, he's really, you know, if you're geeking out on on uh, a movie or or something, it's it's like <laughs> he's really into it. Like I didn't remember, like, oh my gosh, this Star Wars, uh, the special Mandalorian is so good. I'm gonna just eat this chicken. We just covered uh, 16 Candles. In that movie, Anthony Michael Hall's character is not given a, a name. In the he's title just the credits, called he's, the, he's geek. the Geek. He's the Geek. And now I feel a little bit bad. Like, Well, now I'm like, okay, well, that explains a lot of his actions. <laughs> you know, we were looking at this and going, man, this guy has really got some problem. He's jumping. Like, he's actually trying to eat Molly Ringwald in that scene in the car. <laughs> this, this guy just came from the carnival. right. <laughs> He smells like bloody chicken. Oh, all right. So, uh, yeah. So you. So this was new to you too. This whole geek yeah. phenomenon. Yeah, because I mean, like, if you were to think about it now, and you go, "Hey, come to the sideshow and see the geek," I'm like, "Oh, he's just gonna be over there, like, telling you way too much about trains or something." <laughs> so, if you're not familiar with this, I, according to Guillermo del Toro, at least. A geek is someone that you keep in a cage, that you get addicted on opium, and then you only feed him in front of people by giving him a live chicken. And he's going to cry as he bites the neck of the chicken. <laughs> this was not my idea of a geek no. before this movie. I would love it like, a, and we talked about it before, the nerd day. People come dressed up like nerds. Well, I'm dressed up as a geek, and you're just like a, a disheveled man in a loincloth with like chicken blood around your face. Crying uncontrollably saying, <laughs> I'm not like this. <laughs> it's the opium, I swear. Jeez. Oh, so this is pretty dark. It's pretty dark. Yeah. Uh, but of course it's crucial to the movie because, you know, Bradley Cooper basically he he's amoral he doesn't care really and so he's going to help enslave this man uh who only gets to eat live chicken and get you know get a little swig of opium laced alcohol from time to time yeah and of course this is why i'm saying that this movie is very catholic because i think that that's like communion <laughs> the the bl- the blood is from the chicken <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> I mean, I don't I haven't been to a Catholic mass in a long time, but I mean, be a little chicken tender and some uh, some opium. This is this is the new seeker sensitive Catholicism. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I no, this is the idea that he's chosen a path for himself and he's going to, he's basically creating his own hell. Right. And what he does to this poor homeless person, it's going to come back and get him. It's going to, he's absolutely going to reap what he sows. Sure. 
Um, and then, of course, you've got all of the theological language throughout God's Watching and the, the Enoch uh, character, which is why I thought we should cover this, because I feel like the Enoch mythology is probably, it has sort of an element of horror to it. Sure. Uh, tell me, what what do you think about the whole baby in a jar thing? <laughs> uh, that's effective, right? <laughs> I, I it it was it freaked me out, man. It was it was not it was not a, a an easy watch for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, because it's a baby <laughs> that has been like opened a little bit. To have another eye and yeah, opened and, and sewed and back then, together and, and then, then pickled. And, you know, and you know how it is when you you can't get the yeah yeah well, you can't ever get that baby head to go back together the way you want it to. Are you a fan of pickles? Yeah, big fan. Do you do you prefer? Do you have a, a specific kind of pickle that you prefer? Like you mean like dill versus uh, bread and butter or sweet? Yeah. Do you like the sweet kind? I'm a dill guy. You're, yeah, I think a lot of people are. I think I like the sweet. I'm the only one in my family that actually likes sweet pickles. Okay. Do you like them on their own? Or do you like them on something? Like like maybe if you had like a spicy chicken sandwich and you put a sweet pickle, I could probably get on board with that. But on its own, got to give me dill. I'll just eat a sweet pickle, man. It'll, yeah. it'll... Do you ever eat one of those giant pickles? You know, you get them in a bag. Speaking of, like they look like that baby. <laughs> the Enoch flavored pickle. It's just this big old pickle in a bag of its own juice, and it's like I love the idea that like pickle on the go. <laughs> no, I have, I and I don't want that much pickle. And watching somebody eat a giant pickle is just it's that's a it's a chore, dude. I don't really want that's too much pickle for one for one sitting. I don't know if you can like like <laughs> it's too much. Yeah, the reseal idea the bag when you're all done. this pickle. Yeah, I never want like a phrase I'll never say is I can't finish all this pickle. <laughs> Do you want to split a pickle? Do you want to split a pickle? Because <laughs> we get the little pickles. We get like those little ones, you know. Um, yeah, no, the little ones are nice. I like those about the, the the amount of pickle that I want. Yeah, a little bit of crunch. It's great. So uh, pickled babies. What, <laughs> yeah, also I, yeah, I, I prefer dill. <laughs> So, okay, so here's my reading on Enoch, and I don't know if this is a a good reading or not. I'm kind of maybe forcing the issue here. So he walks into this, I guess, storage, carnival storage unit where (laughs) Willem Dafoe (laughs) is keeping all of his pickled animals. Right. And he calls them my little angels. And I didn't catch it at first, but he's like, here, my little angels. And then roped off in the back and almost like a almost like a shrine. It's almost like a little temple because you got you got all of the regular little angels that are all in their little pickle jars. Then you've got this really rare specimen in the back that he calls Enoch. And he said, now that's a really rare one. And he kind of kind of gives Enoch a backstory like he killed his mom at birth and that he's got a third eye in his forehead and follows you around like a portrait and it's just really weird freaky looking baby uh and i guess it looks it doesn't really look human you know right uh so there's that part of it and then whenever they show enoch 
it's usually when Bradley Cooper's character is sort of spiraling into depravity. Right. Like with really ominous music, they'll pan over to Enoch from the jar with his third eye sort of watching Bradley Cooper. So this got me thinking, like, is Enoch, does Enoch sort of represent sort of like the demonic guide? Bradley Cooper is basically going to walk through hell and Enoch is the the watcher. I don't know. How did you take that? Because it's certainly an important part of the movie, but it do, it, it's not spelled out. Well, it's such an important part of the movie that it you you travel through its skull in the credits. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so so it's interesting because I think I was, you know, just because, again, I didn't watch it twice. You know, you watched it twice. And so I was sort of taking it all in um, and trying to find out, like, well, what is, you know, I was saying, like, like is, is Enoch... Is this a harbinger, or is this is is this a is this also part of the sort of the metaphor, right, of um, something about Bradley Cooper's damnation? Um, so yeah, so we see crucially we see Enoch in early on in the movie, and then when Bradley Cooper sort of ends his own journey, he gets to the end of the Nightmare Alley. It's like Enoch is waiting for him on the other side. Right. right. He's in the room. He's about to get conned into being a geek himself. He knows that this is what's happening. Like he knows exactly that this is happening. So what is I mean, what is and what is Enoch's um legend, right? He killed his mother. So he kills his mother, and then you have a parallel with the Sand character, the Bradley Cooper character, because what do we know about Bradley Cooper? Well, he killed his father. Yeah, so there so is Enoch in this is, is it kind of a representative of Bradley Cooper's pickling? Yeah, I don't know. I, I was curious to he- get your take on this. I kind of felt like it's almost like the Enoch pickled baby demon. He's either a harbinger or a guide, or he's a cautionary tale, or or is it? Because I mean, so here's so here's you got a baby who's you know uh, if if the baby killed his mother and he's still a baby, so it's like it's it's like that was that fate was sealed like mm. hermetically sealed in this sure. jar right and he's kept there and now it's a freak it's a warning it's um yeah yeah you know and so if you look at look at the moment that that Bradley Cooper character uh kills his father i mean essentially now he's like we said he's set set on this path this nightmare alley so to speak yeah. but the alley isn't so much a journey as it is like like it almost like if you want to take start looking metaphorically through like you go through a sideshow or you go through a free show when I, my experience was you kind of you're you're kind of guided through and there's there's things to see along the way you, you like any carnival attraction there's an entrance and there's an exit and like fun houses and and sideshows and uh hall of mirrors those types of things you're you're a spectator you're you're, yeah. you're a spectator but you're also sort of trapped in some degree right like i mean you're there you're freaked out you you feel safe, but you feel unsettled at the same time. Mm-hmm. And you go through and you know that there's an end and there's a way out. Well, for him, there's not, right? So he's in this. Enoch's not getting out of that jar. Bradley Cooper may think he has agency through this journey, but essentially he's in that same jar, right? He's he is he's a charlatan. He's a, uh, you know, he, he's damned. He's a freak. He's essentially, he's even though his right. his ruse, his 
his psychic powers are part of the, quote, attraction. Mm-hmm. He's a part of another attraction. He's a sideshow piece. He's traveling. with Wherever the sideshow goes, those freaks have to go with it. And so even though he may be moving outside of the, the, the actual sideshow, the sideshow is taking him along. And it's, that's the Nightmare Alley, that, right? That's the kind yeah, of... Yeah, I like that. And you take, you take that journey through the baby head at the end. I mean, that's an alley, right? I mean, there's, there's a, that's another way to view that journey. And it's, like, and it's grotesque and it's horrific. And it's just going to lead you to the other side of the jar. Yeah, I like that a lot. So here's the other way to look at this. That I don't know if anyone's going to read this this way, but I wrote down like Enoch is watching. And we know that Enoch has been named after this character with this almost eternal life in Genesis. Mm-hmm. He's this character in Genesis who ends up like you're not sure about his death and maybe he lives forever. And it made me think of the myth of the Watchers from Genesis 6. And basically, these are gods who have sex with women, and they produce these hybrid creatures. Mm-hmm. What makes them monstrous is they're hybrid creatures. And, well, what do we know about the geek? The geek, you know, the, there's a question. Is this a man or is this a beast? So it's a kind of a hybrid creature. Mm-hmm. And then you have, like, the, the woman's face on the tarantula body, hybrid creature, and basically, I think what this is saying is that Bradley Cooper is on his way to becoming subhuman. Sure. He's not fully human anymore now that he's chosen the path of patricide. And eventually what's going to end up happening is he's going, he's, he killed his father, he's going to kill his mentor, and then he's going to end up killing this guy that he wants, he says that he can help in the end. Mm-hmm. And that journey of patricide is going to lead him into becoming something subhuman. It's possible that that's... And, and of course, in this case, what does it mean to be subhuman? Well, now you're a freak show. Right. You're, you're a cautionary tale. Yeah, like yeah, and I like that, the idea of the cautionary tale, right? Because that's... Like, what is... I mean, the the Enoch in a jar, it's, it's horrifying, right? So, like, if yeah. you were to go into a, a freak show and you'd be like, oh, my gosh, that is so disturbing and so upsetting... Um, but there's, you know, and so that is face value, right? So like mm-hmm. watching a guy eat a chicken is, is horrific, but the real horror is how he got there. The real horror is yeah. that this was a human yeah, and through addiction, through, through the nightmare alley, through nightmare alley, through sadism, however it got there, there's somebody yeah. on the other side of this that has now helped facilitate this, managing it and profiting from it like that's the horror right that's right that's what, and and to some degree that's what like bradley cooper was trying to do and he was divorcing himself from the morality of it or at least that's kind of what i took from it like yeah he say, thought he could be he thought he could orbit the carnival without actually becoming the sideshow right and he couldn't do it in the end you know he he gets he gets the offer he says look you can if you want to i've got this temporary job for you you could be a geek and he starts laughing and crying at the same time, and he said he basically says, "I was born for it, right, as if this is always where my life was leading me right here right and the and the being born for it goes back to now what do you know look, we see a baby that was uh born into death, so to speak, and now it's it's forever pickled. <laughs> 
if the movie had been called Forever Pickled. <laughs> Forever Pickled. It's, do you feel like it's you're my like favorite okay, now Rod it's Stewart song, Forever Pickled? <laughs> Forever Pickled. <laughs> is this uh, is was there one cliche trope or device that worked for you in this movie? Um. Well, there's there's so many tropes, right? I mean, like this is yeah. it's trope centric. I I think uh, the Kate Blanchett character, the the way that she like is portrayed as like femme fatale. Yeah, uh, I think every time those two were in a scene together, I was pretty well hooked. I mean, visually, uh, Del, Del Toro did some great things. I think with her office, all like the designs, all looking like Rorschach uh, yeah. tests and. Um, just really capturing a, a like a time period like that that was so sufficiently creepy to me and that's what i think really was kind of remarkable about it it does like have on- a film noir quality at that point right and then yeah. and, and i always felt like when those two were in those scenes together like i didn't know who was conning whom you know yeah and i think that that so that was really what was kind of what really got me cuz i got the sense that he wasn't in control but like you get but i think that was also a good moment for me too is i'm like I don't think he's ever been in control, right? You know what I mean? And then that goes back to the sort of that damned nightmare alley cycle that he's in is that uh, he's no agency in this. Well, he's he continues to choose it. See, I think that you could read it in two ways, right? So he's chosen the pickle jar. You know, he's able to eschew alcohol until about halfway through the movie. And I think it probably has something to do with, like, my dad was an alcoholic, and I'm sort of reading this into it, but my dad was an alcoholic, and so I'm better than my father. True. And then halfway into the movie, when he decides to do the spook show, that's exactly when he gets conned into becoming an alcoholic, and of course, that is him choosing the pickle jar, but then I guess you could argue, like... does an alcoholic really get to choose? Because well, and he says it at the end. I think I think he reveals he has no agency. I was born for this, right? Yeah. So I think there's that's to, that was kind of the takeaway for me was that like as he like that's that's the moment of realization uh-huh. that he's like I've been damned the whole time. Well, there is that sort of that moment when Pete says, "Look, you could blind yourself. You could start believing your own lies. If you start believing your own lies, you are screwed." Mm-hmm. And it's almost like Bradley Cooper starts believing something. I don't know if he ever believes his own con, but um well, I think I think it goes backwards, right? I think maybe he believed that what he did with his father was justified. Sure. So yeah. if he was believing his own lies at that moment, that like because like, again, when he say born for this, like that feels like that was the moment he was born for it, right? Yeah, like, maybe that's at least the, the lie. Lesson in the film. Sure. Yeah, maybe the lie is that. That nothing I'm doing it really matters that much. Like, like I can con people. I can use the spook show, give them a good show. It actually doesn't matter. And everyone else in his life is saying, "No, people will get hurt. Don't go this path." And then he lies to himself by thinking, "This is this path is not the nightmare alley. This is something else. I can avoid." the nightmare alley that my father chose or something like that. Right. But at the same time, then he kills the, uh, yeah, you know, like you said, the father figure with, you know, poisoned alcohol, essentially. Um, that's right. And and whether it was intentional or not. So that becomes the question, right? Is, is it intentional? So he can, he can take that persona on and move forward, like on some level. And if that's the case, well, I mean, that's a second father figure that he's intentionally killed. And maybe again, it was justified or in his mind, it was justified. If it was an accident, 
then it doesn't matter. All of this, he was yeah. damned, right? You could read it. I mean, you could read it both ways. You could read it like, no, he actually chose the bottle on purpose because he knew that getting rid of Pete would give him access to the book, unfettered access to the book. And he, and he needed the book for the next not just that Not just that, but you, you remove the moral clause. And that's, that's kind of right, what he was also representing because sure. he was giving the warnings. You can go this far with it. Don't do this with it. Well, if you take that out, you know, now you're, you've kind of got plausible deniability. Right. Is this movie um, better, worse, or equal to a Ron Howard film? Even though I'm not sure I liked it, I have to give it a Howard Plus 2. Nice. Oh, my goodness. Sounds like you liked it, Steve. You, you think I liked it? It, it? Howard Plus 2 sounds like you liked it. Well, I could, can you not like something that's good? Sure. Yeah. No, I like, I like, for instance, I think, what did I do with uh, Dracula? I think I gave it a pretty low rating. Look, let's not try to make Howard our Howard rating system make any sense at all. No, yeah, that's a, that's a whole other podcast. Us, us starting to believe our own lies. <laughs> we were born for this, Anthony. <laughs> so, Steve, we got our first hate mail to cocoons of horror. Yeah, cocoons of yes. horror. <laughs> Hopefully, not our last. <laughs> I I just like emails. I it's just fun. Just fun to get mail. Right. Yeah, this emailer was not happy with our 16 candles coverage. Mhm. Uh because in his words we insinuated that John Hughes was a racist pedophile. Which when you put those two words together, I mean that's that's a lot. That's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. I don't think I would call him a racist pedophile. No. Uh, but also, like, if let's say you, you know, not talking about John Hughes now, but let's say you're you're in a situation where you find out that someone is a pedophile. Yeah. Do you need to go so far as to find out if they're racist too? I feel like I think we're good on the character. <laughs> if, you, if you want to defame someone, like if you if you're like yeah, and he doesn't like Koreans, it's like oh well, all right, that's. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that I mean he, that makes it worse. But I mean, this guy. Did you know that Ted Bundy was also an internet troll. <laughs> like, like we're trying to live in a civil society here. Can't you just kill people and eat them in peace? <laughs> that bringing divisiveness into this country. In no, addition, no respect for the human body or discourse. <laughs> All right, so in addition to our hate mail, we got a couple nice iTunes reviews. Uh, Stephen Anthony, a fun, interesting conversation. So that's about... all. We're, that's as far we're going with the hate mail, huh? Well, I, look, I mean, let me just give the guy props. Uh, at one point, he called us the cucked goons of Borer. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I wasn't, I wasn't sure how many syllables were in that last word, but in his defense, I think cucked goons is pretty funny. Right, I think it gives us a kind of a glimpse in maybe his uh, his leanings. Yeah, right? and I think ultimately, what he, I think ultimately what 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 I took from that was there was a sense that maybe maybe we were uh, incorporating a little cancel culture into our um, yeah. No, I don't want to. Can- I'm not look. I'm not canceling John Hughes. I did, I never advocated for. I just want. I'm just. I can't. I all I said was that I was glad he was dead. Is that what's well, sure. What sure. is that? Can- yeah. I don't know if that's canceling. Anthony, that canceling? Anthony, Anthony said life canceled John Hughes, 
and he wasn't mad about it. I'm not mad at the universe, is what I'm saying. No. I'm, I'm going with the flow on this one. And I am, you know, I'm on record for still liking Breakfast Club. I mean, I, I could live without some kind of wonderful. I haven't seen it in a while, but I remember liking it. I do remember liking it. Well, and I think it's, I mean, it'd be very difficult for me to say that John Hughes was without racism. Right. I mean, well, and, and who I think, is and not I think without we, racism? Right? I sure. mean, that That's the thing. It's like, of course, I just don't have the opportunity to make grotesque caricatures of the people I'm racist against. And, yeah. And but if ever given a chance, of course. Oh, I draw. I draw it all the time. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> uh, we got you a couple... should see. You should see the inside of my trapper keeper. <laughs> we got a couple nice iTunes reviews here. This is from Woman Who Roar. Okay. Uh, she says, not just for horror fans. Steve and Anthony have fun, interesting conversations about so much more than the films. This podcast feels like you're chatting with old friends. They provide a whole new perspective on movies that you know and love or hate. And I like that. I really want to sort of focus on this last little line here. It's movies that you love or hate. And I think that that is kind of crucial to the magic that we're trying to make here. Because I think that this podcast could work with either kind of movie, and I don't think that every podcast can do that. I think that you and I can have fun with either kind of movie. Right. And uh, anyway, anyway I, agree with, I agree with the listeners. I, I don't think it's just for one kind of movie, and I don't think it's just for one kind of film experience. Right. And I think, you know, I think a Pet Cemetery was a good one for that. Right. Because you had no real um, frame of, of reference for it. Right. And 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 you enjoyed it. I mean, you oh, enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. Yes. You enjoyed it like with, uh, you know, kind of a wink and a nod. But I mean, yeah, objectively, it's a bad movie and it was a bad movie that I enjoyed for sure. Right. And that's and I think that's really a thing to to understand too is that you can say yes i have this is an objectively bad movie but i is, i know that i personally had an objectively good time the entire time yeah um like should we ever decide to review or rewatch uh howard the duck i'm very curious to know what uh your feelings are <laughs> see that's the thing about howard the duck i feel like that's the part of the marvel universe that has been underexplored <laughs> And Cocoons of Horror may be just the podcast to revisit Howard the Duck. I have a lot of opinions on Howard the Duck. <laughs> I do remember a naked female duck at one point in the movie. Or am I, or was I'm that a dream say I had? for the podcast. No, no, no. It is both. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it is both in the movie and something that I've repeatedly dreamed about. Oh, yeah. No, I, I remember being, I think it was my... I think it was, I have to look at what birthday it was. But I went and saw it like opening night with friends uh, for my birthday. And boy, we left the theater very different. <laughs> Thinking about ducks in a whole different way. If you had told me that we were going to watch a movie with a talking duck and then we'd all walk out silent. <laughs> I said, you're crazy. <laughs> All right. This is from Amy. She says, more fun than actually watching the movies. I love reminiscing about pop culture from childhood, but frankly don't have the patience to rewatch most of these movies as an adult. I enjoy the insight and banter between Steve and Anthony. 
And I feel like they dutifully cover the important and fun aspects of a movie. Definitely worth your time if you are a lazy film geek. Again, I don't, I'm not comfortable with the word geek anymore after our viewing of <laughs> Nightmare Alley. But I do appreciate this review, Amy. I thought this was interesting because she feels like not all that interested in rewatching the movies, but she will listen to us talk about the movies. Is this is this something that we're trying to encourage at Cocoons of Horror, Steve? Well, I mean, I guess it would be like going to a math lecture, but doing no homework. Sure. Like just listening to a couple of guys drone on about, you know, uh, Pythagorean theorem, but I got, but I don't have to show my work. That's right. not bad. Right. I, here's what I think. I think if you've seen the movie before, then absolutely just listen to us talk about it. And then if you enjoyed it, then maybe go rewatch the movie. I think that if you haven't seen the movie, maybe, I, I don't know if you're going to get most of what we're talking about. Or maybe that's not why she's tuning in. I, I don't know. Hey, just listen to the podcast. I don't care. See, you're just, <laughs> you're just in this selfish thing. I'm looking out for Amy's best interests here. I want. I, I'm not here to to micromanage Amy's best interest. Oh, Amy's good. Amy's best interest is her best interest. I see. And I I choose not to mansplain <laughs> uh, her best interest to her. Now I know I'm probably gonna get some hate mail because I'm a cucked goon trying to you know be super <laughs> progressive over here. But you know I am what I am. I like the the term cucked goon because it's you know like if you're a goon. Then that means that you're kind of in service to someone else anyway. Like there's some kind of evil mastermind and you're like a henchman. Right. Right. So you, so, so you're, henchman. you're, you're sort of, uh, you're a beta male, both at home and at work and, and on the job. Wow. <laughs> like you go to work. Yeah. There's a mastermind that orders you around. You go home and you get, Ordered around by your domestic partner. I love the idea of the of the ultimate beta, <laughs> like that's, the alpha beta. That's us. <laughs> I think we're done. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we were done. That's okay. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. And our gossamer wings are melting right off. <laughs>